Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From my kitchen table somewhere in the Delaware Valley, this is the podcast we like to call The Pod Couple. I'm Phil John Ficaro, columnist for The Intelligencer. My sidekick and columnist for the Bucks County Courier Times, Jaden Lane, is on vacation, but I'm not going it alone today. My guest is Catherine Sherlock of Lower Makefield. Her seven-year-old daughter, Caden Mancuso, was killed by her biological father, Jeffrey Mancuso, on August 6, 2018, in his Maniunk home during a contentious custody battle. Mancuso then committed suicide by hanging in the bedroom that same day. A note he left on Caden's body indicated he did the unthinkable as a way to punish Catherine, his former girlfriend. Despite overwhelming evidence from psychiatrists detailing Mancuso's history of violence and mental health issues, Bucks County Judge Jeffrey Charter allowed him unsupervised overnight visits with Caden, which Catherine vehemently opposed at the time. Now, a parent never gets over the death of a child, but what Catherine and her support system have done since is be an advocate to bolster child custody laws in Pennsylvania to ensure the safety of the child remains paramount. And Catherine has done just that with Caden's law, which recently passed the Pennsylvania Senate and now goes to the House for passage. Catherine, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Phil. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Sure. Um, you know, as I noted, you were opposed to Caden's biological father having unsupervised visits with her due to his unstable mental history, his violent nature, even at times against members of his own family, but not against Caden, just so we're clear. Right. In your opinion, what did Judge Trotter fail to grasp when he allowed those unsupervised visits? Um, he didn't. He just didn't listen to anything that I had ever said. Um, anyone that anything that anyone said, we, you know, it wasn't ever trying to take Caden from her father. It was um, more of a concern for his mental health, his well-being. Um, over the years, he was just declining. He was getting worse and worse and worse. In the beginning, um, you know, he kind of left me and Caden alone. Um, and as the years went on, he became obsessive. He became uh, controlling. Um, he did things, honestly, just to punish us. And uh, as much as I tried to explain that. It just made me look as though I was doing it for other reasons, and it was never the case. Um, I think that was the most frustrating part. People never really listened or believed that I was doing it for a real reason, not just to, you know, get back at him or, or be mad at him or anything like that. I mean, there was something, you know, as a medical professional, there was something you could see that there was seriously wrong with him. And... All I ever asked for was him to get some treatment, some help, some uh, someone else that could actually help um, deal with him. It was un dealing with him was not an option, um, and there was nothing I could do to con to force him into that. That's why we got into the law system, and um, it failed. Yeah. His psychiatric evaluation, the recommendation was he only be awarded unsupervised visits if he entered mental health treatment. Right. But Judge Trager failed to require he seek the treatment in his final custody order, right? He did. 
Yeah. So um, did you want to get a clear explanation why the judge didn't mandate the treatment when that was the recommendation? Um, from what I've learned over the past three years is the fact that um, all these evaluations, the ones that they make you pay, I mean, the CCES evaluation in Bucks County in which they actually, the only thing that's changed since Caden was killed is they now require every single person in Bucks County that goes and enters into a custody um, a trial to now uh, seek out CCES evaluation. And it costs $4,000 um, minimum. Um, that was one of the... Um, evaluations that we had to go through. And then Judge Trogger actually ordered a mental health evaluation, which was another $6,000 by a psychiatrist that was appointed by him. Um, and all of these evals, and, all, and I mean, of all the people in, that I've talked to across the country, across the world, they are just very, very costly. It's a billion dollar business in this country. And the thing is, is that the judges don't actually have to listen to them. So you sit back and you go, well, what's the point of doing them if the judge doesn't actually have to listen to anything that it says? They don't have to take into any consideration anything that it says. Um, and they're held by law and they're held by the Judiciary Board and everyone else will back up their decisions. And that's why we need to change what the statutes say. Um, if you're forcing people to have these evals from your required professionals, um, I really think that you know there should they should hold a little bit more weight. But then on the other hand, when you have more corrupt, I mean, my evaluators were fair. I didn't like the one, but that he was fair and he did his job. Um, in other instances across the country, there's corrupt gals, there's corrupt, I mean, it's like a cottage industry. So, some of these evaluators are in cohorts with the judges. I can name a few in particular that, you know, they'll recommend, uh, you know, all types of things. And um, no, the judge does not ever have to take into consideration, but they have the, they have the discretion to do so. So it's a big problem. Um, that's why part of the law is trying to get um, more of a regulation on, on who these people are. Um, not all of the evaluators are um, trained or have worked with domestic violence or trauma or any of it. So, I mean, they could really just be like a regular psychiatrist or psychologist that doesn't have any training, you know, in, in, in the most important aspects of like domestic violence. So a lot of it is a huge problem. Um, with my evaluations, I would think that the reason that I was doing them was in fact to help the judge make his decision. But in the end, it turns out that he doesn't, they don't have to actually read them or listen to them. And I don't think Judge Trogger even read it, to be honest. He didn't have to. He had, I mean, what, what could we do? Yeah. You know, unfortunately, what happened to Caden happens just far too often in this country. And you know, there's a there we just data, 800, the number was, hit 800. Yeah. There was data I saw from a website, the Center for Judicial Excellence, that since 2008, 800 children in this country have been killed by a parent during a divorce or separation. Caden was 647. So what is that's only been three years. 647 was the number that she was, and now we're up to 800. Um, and those kids are from Pennsylvania, 13 from New Jersey. Yep. Um, New York's a big one. Um, yeah. Texas, yeah. Florida, that I work with California, them. California was up there on the list I saw. Um, so yeah. you've chosen to channel your pain and anger over Caden's death to protect other children who might be placed in a dangerous situation as she was. Yeah. Can you explain what Caden's law would do to bolster the existing laws that don't protect those kids? Well, every unfortunately, every state has different statutes and different laws. Um, it's become actually a challenge across the country um, that most states do mandate their own custody. Uh, in Pennsylvania, in two, I think it was 2010, they redid the custody and they um, 
they put in place the 16 factors. And if you look at the 16 factors, and if you look at my court order, Judge Chagger went through each and every one. Um, what he didn't do, actually, and the only thing I could have probably gotten him in trouble for, we're not trouble, but you know, that potentially would have been suable if I was able to get past the judiciary immunity, um, was the fact that when it says that someone has a criminal history, you're supposed to actually have it, um, a hearing in a, a um, you know, a domestic violence um assessment and that was never done in my case so yes you list so basically all they do is they list <laughs> they list his um criminal history they list mine which i had none um and you know each parent gets the opportunity to to do that and then by law they're supposed to actually evaluate that as how it's a risk to the child and that was never done in my case yeah. um it was just listed so the 16 factors help with trying to determine custody and every factor was hit on in Kaden's case but it wasn't really um, it, it was just kind of there. It, it didn't really, I mean, they really basically took how far Jeff and I lived from each other and compared it to the same as like his criminal history. Like one didn't weigh over the other. And what Caden's Law does is really says that the safety and the best interest of the child should be number one across the board in all cases, in every state, in every county and in this country. And it's just not that way. It, it looks like that on paper, but when it comes down to it, it's just not the case. And that's what Caden's Law is basically trying to say. If there's a you know, known history of abuse. I mean, I'm not just saying like, oh, he, you know, he said, she said, like, you know, we're asking for evidentiary hearings because, you know, with real proof and real experts and real people that actually would know that this one's telling the truth versus, or this one's not. And um, being able to decipher between that and, uh, you know, trying to say that the, the best interest of the safety of the child should be paramount and number one. And that's really all it says. It's not gender biased. It's not race bias is it's nothing it's it's the best interest of the child and um you would think that it was already there but it's not um parental rights trump children's rights and and human rights as children and uh that's a problem how um, do um how do we break through the misconception that simply because uh one of the parents may have assault history as caden's dad did but not against the child. How do we how do we close that gap? Um, you know, because you know, I, in the research that I've done on this, uh, you know, in in cases like yours, um, once the, the 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 one of the parents uh, wants to punish the other uh, in the custody battle, the the most way to the best way to do it, at least history shows, is to hurt the child because that punishes the other parent, which is what happened in your case. Yeah. How do we close that legal gap? Does Caden's Law close that gap? Um, no, but Caden's Law would take, basically would take like a, a custody situation and, and hopefully and would take more than just, so everyone has a problem with, well, if I had a physical, an assault charge from 20 years ago, I'm gonna lose my child. That's not the case. You need to take the entire picture into consideration. Every case is different, but there needs to be, so say there's an, a, a history of domestic violence and assault here, and then they also have mental illness, and then they are also you know threatening to this and this. I mean, it needs to go down like kind of like a checklist and say, okay, all of these things together, Put this child at risk. Um, behavior breeds behavior. Um, we know that. Um, the studies with the ACE studies and everything with the adverse childhood effects. I mean, if you look at that study alone, it it, it helps to to show what 
what the future has in store for these children. And, and when I talk about the 800 kill, children that have been killed, yes, they're gone. But um, on the other side, if there's 58,000 children a year in this country that are put into abusive situations, and I can promise you they do not turn out okay. Um, they lead a life of... <laughs> I mean, the, the, the list of things that happen to them just being exposed to a domestic violence situation um, is endless. Um, and that's a real problem as well. And that's another thing that we're trying to say just, OK, so perhaps your child is not killed. But if they're consistently handed over to someone that's either abusive to whoever in whatever way, and I'm talking financial abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, mental abuse, um, those all play a huge role in how people turn out. And um that's a part of what Kate Zoll is also trying to do. I mean, yes, there was 26 kids that were killed in Pennsylvania, but there's 58,000 a year put into really terrible situations. And, and it's through court that nobody's helping or listening. And they just, it, it, it's preventable. All of this is preventable. Um, if they were able to just take into consideration that, you know, the child's best interest and, and, um, the safety, honestly, is what it comes down to. And they just kind of, it looks like, like I said, it looks good on paper, but it never really comes out that way. I, I can't even name the amount of women and men that I've talked to that their kids are put in these awful situations and nobody's doing anything. The only way to do anything in this country is about domestic violence is go through the law system and or the court systems and look what happens. They don't listen. Catherine, you would file a lawsuit against Judge Trager. I understand you've, you've, subsequently withdrawn it. What First, what did you hope to achieve with the lawsuit? And second, why did you withdraw it? Um, all I ever asked for was accountability. I know from the very um, early on stages when Caden was killed, I was in front of, um, front of Governor Wolf's office when I met with him saying, something went wrong here. Um, let's see what went wrong and fix it. And I've only ever asked for accountability and change, knowing that what happened to my daughter was preventable. And um, the lawsuit, um, there were a lot of players in this, in my daughter's case that, um, didn't just essentially just didn't do their jobs. Um, and if they would have done their jobs, I, I know that things probably would have been different. I mean, there was the school board, the multiple police districts, um, from Philadelphia who didn't show up and didn't and hung up on me when Caden was missing to the school, to the, uh, lawyers, to the county, um, and Judge Trauger, essentially, like I said, uh, the one thing that I knew I could get him on was the fact that he didn't follow proper policies. And in order to have a lawsuit, you have to prove that they strayed away from the the, the standards and um, duties of what their jobs were. And he didn't do a few things in my case, but due to judicial immunity and immunity for all the government entities, I couldn't do anything about it. And that's the um, reason I finally withdrew, because... Um, I wasn't going to get anywhere. And that's a shame because, um, you know, if Caden's case has no merit or no repercussions or no consequences, what the heck does that say for the rest of us? And um, that's why, you know, and now it gives me more, um, us all more reason and more power kind of to push through and say the laws are wrong and they need to be changed because look, listen, as a normal person, anyone involved in this, they can't do anything about it. <laughs> I mean, your kid can be killed and you can't, no one's held responsible. I mean, imagine how other, however many other systems that you could have a dead child and no one's held responsible from products to healthcare across the board. It just seems that the government and all the other entities are completely immune from it. And it's, 
what does that say for everybody else? I mean, there's 800 dead children and how many have had a um, successful lawsuit? I can name one. Um, Aside from the legal aspect of this situation, you know, there are parents whose children are murdered by a spouse or in custody battles that you guys are in a select group. Nobody wants ever to be in that group. When you speak to those parents, what are those conversations like among you? Um, unfortunately it's, uh, there are, I, I do connect with, um, a lot of them. I, I know about a hundred, uh, or so that, you know, I belong to a Facebook group for solely parents like us. Um, but there's more of us out there that I haven't connected with. Um, it's a weird, uh, club that we belong to and you kind of just get it. Um, we all kind of just get each other. It's hard. It's un- weird to say, but, um, it's, I, I kind of explain like if you've ever gone to lunch with a bunch of nurses and they're sitting there talking about stuff like they just kind of get each other. Um, yeah. It's kind of the same thing. We all kind of just understand what we've been through. Um, we kind of sit in a different category when it comes to child loss um, because of how horrific. I mean, any child loss is horrible. Um, but, you know, our kids were healthy. They were happy. Um, they were, you know they had their lives in front of them and um, they were taken and it, uh, it was preventable where, you know, maybe say another child, if it's sick, we had healthy children. Caden was a happy, healthy seven-year-old. Um, it was everything that you ever wish and pray for as a parent. And, you know, if, if she was sick, every doctor or nurse, whoever would do whatever they could to save that child's life. Right. And, but in my case, as much as I begged and as much as I tried to get someone to listen to me, no one protected her. Um, and it's just very frustrating for us. Um, you know, as much as all of us did, uh, they ultimately were killed and there was nothing we could do and there's no repercussions and there's no nothing. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a parent as are many of the folks who are, who may watch this podcast, the thought of losing a child, especially as you did, I don't even know how to finish the sentence, really. Um, what are days like? I mean, she should be 10. She should be, I don't know, how old is fourth grade, maybe? What? Yeah. She how do you navigate the day? Um, well, I have three naughty little boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm expecting another in my old Congratulations. Days. Yes. You, you're, uh, you. you told me in December you're expecting a little girl. Yeah. We are... Uh, blessed. I know Kaden probably had something to do with it because this is I'm sure she did. completely unexpected. She always wanted a sister and she ended up with <laughs> three little brothers and now a sister. But um, I know she's watching uh, over us. Have you picked out a name yet that not, maybe not you don't want to disclose, but no, not yet. We're, I know her middle name, little girl's name, middle name will be Kay, K-A-Y. And we have not agreed on a name yet. Um, I, we just had a little baby boy in May. His yeah. name is Case, named after Caden. So K A Y C E. Um, he was our little rainbow baby, and but yeah, I guess Caden wanted to surprise us and gave us another one. Um, yeah. But we we're grateful. Uh, well, I mean, I work full time. I still I went back to work relatively fast as um, an ER nurse. It was the only thing that was left of me that was left, honestly. Um, I had been a nurse for however many years now, 18, I think. And 
um, as of August 6th, everything in my life was gone. Um, I couldn't, I don't remember who that person was, who my life was like, it's just, it was gone. Everything was just kind of taken from us. Everyone that I knew, essentially my parents, my family, my best friends, everyone, that everyone's gone. Those people that existed before are gone. And, um, the only thing that really remained of me was being a nurse. So I went back to work relatively fast and I still continue to work as an ER trauma nurse. And, um, it's just something that I've always done. And I, I can do that without, you know, it doesn't, I'm able to do that. And I'm grateful for my job and my family and, you know, starting cadence quarter keeps me busy. Um, we're having a big golf outing on July 26th and that's where we raise most of our money. Essentially, uh, you know, my plans and goals for Cadence Corner is to create a place and a space for those like me, um, that belong to this crappy club of family court. We shouldn't have to have a support group for those that have been traumatized by family court, but we do need one. Um, Almost all the people I interact with on a daily basis now have become, you know, lifelong friends between Danielle Pollock and all the advocates across the country. Um, you know, those are the people that I talk to the most and hang out with the most. And um, everyone reaches out asking for help. And I'm kind of at a loss. I don't know how to help them. Um, but it, ideally, Cadence Corner will be a place to connect, um, support for those that have either lost children or have children caught up in the system. And there's so many of us, it's unreal. unreal. Um, you know, we hope to have resources and advocates. And I do speak around the country from time to time. I mean, who am I? No one really, but I, you know, my story helps one person it's worth it. Right. And that's why I do kind of what I do. Um, I don't raise money, um, in Cadence Corner for Cadence Law. That's completely separate. Um, but essentially I would like to have our own space, our own place for people to come. Um, I'm actually hosting a retreat with the, um, in coordination with Hayden's house of healing, which I went to last year, which is a, um, a lovely organization that was created by Addie um, Dorsett. Um, and it's for parents who have lost children and of all losses, um, and it basically saved me last year. I was in a really bad place. My lawyer had just dumped me after uh, two years. And I, you know, I was in a bad spot. Um, that case kind of kept me going every day. It was giving me hope. And to hear that, you know, they were letting it, just not continuing with it was, it felt like as though I had failed Caden and lost her again. And it was a really, really bad place. So um, I attended this retreat at Hayden's house. I met a wonderful group of people and I am coordinating with them in September and I'm hosting um, or we are hosting uh, about 12 women that children have been murdered like Caden. So um, from all over the country, um, we're looking forward to that. And we're grateful that Hayden's house is helping us. Um, and I'm really excited for those women to actually experience what I experienced, because like I said, it, it does save, it helps um, you with your grief and to actually be in, in the same room with the, with women that have been through the same thing as you. I mean, there's just like this odd connection that I promise you, if you don't have to ever go, you you're, be lucky, be glad, but it does kind of comfort and help people heal. And essentially that's what hopefully Cadence Corner can do at some point down the road. It takes a long time to get all this stuff situated, but we are working on it and um, 
we have a huge support system, especially in Bucks County. We're very grateful for that. And, um, you know, we're excited for the things to come in the future. Uh, the House has passed, or the, the Senate has passed Cadence Law, and we're excited about that. We have a lot of work to do with the House. Um, and we're on the federal level as well. We have a lot of work to do. It's not easy. Um, politics are hard. Um, <laughs> they're brutal. They can be very, very rough. But uh, I'm not afraid. I'm, you know, I've been through the worst of the worst. And this is, the rest is all just noise to me. It just, you know, she, I always say Caden was here. She would never give up and she would if she could. So for me, because when I don't want to do it, when I don't want to wake up or go here or there or this, I remember a little girl that would. So I do it and um, I'll always do it for my daughter and I owe her nothing less, honestly. Um, you know, Catherine, uh, in cases like this, whether the child was, was died the way Caden did or there was a car accident, what people remember is little girl got killed by her dad uh, in an accident. You know, a 17 year old got killed in a car accident. But that's all that people know about the person. That's their identity. Tell people about your daughter. Oh, man. Kaden, Kaden was, and I know some people get upset when I say this, but I, I, Kaden was a different little girl. Um, she was nothing I would have ever expected or um, really thought and then now that she not that now that she's gone but um <clears throat> I realized how special this little girl was because of how many people she really has touched and that's as a as I'm sorry when she was here she was you know my best friend she was smart as can be um way smarter than I, I will ever be but and I, I don't even like to admit this but her father was on, kind of on a genius level I think that's why there a lot of people with narcissism and his mental health, they do have that, you know, that intellect. Um, and, and that's like a lot of where, he, how he, how he turned out to be um, is because he was, he was very, very smart. And Kaden got the smarts really from her. I mean, she walked at eight months. She talked at 10 months. She just excelled at everything. And I was always just your average at best person. You know, I was nothing special. I didn't, I didn't excel at sports. Um, I'm good at science and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I got great grades in nursing school, but, uh, can't do math for the life of me, but she was just smart. And, um, she was uh, beyond her years, which she was just, she would light up the room. Everybody loved her. Um, everybody wanted to be her, her best friend. She was kind. Um, she taught me more things in her little, her seven years than I probably will ever influence anyone. Um, she was athletic. <laughs> That's the other thing she got from her horrible father. It was, um, he was, a we're kind of freakly, freakishly strong. Um, and, and she got that from him. Uh, and so she at seven was on the softball team at the 10 U softball team. I mean, she just had this, uh, this amazing athletic ability that, you know, you don't, you, I mean, I have three other children. Um, I can tell you, they don't have that. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she was loved writing. She loved um, singing, making up 
call. I mean, I still find her pictures and her journals everywhere. Well, I, mean, I remember seeing the video of Christmas. Yeah. I even posted when I wrote about her. Yeah. Dancing and dressing and creating. She had this imagination and she was just always, I mean, she was a messy little clumsy thing, um, actually. My one sister is very clumsy and she used to say, I'm clumsy like Aunt Maggie because she was just, her little messes were everywhere. But I never, I mean, they were, I, I would take them over anything right now, but uh, they didn't bother me. And she was always playing and writing. And I mean, all the things that I find now are pictures are just incredible. And she was smart and she was polite and she was kind. And um, that was you know, that's kind of the biggest thing for me. I, I knew my child was a, a nice child. I had always taught her to be polite and, and kind. And, but, you know, after she died, I, a lot of moms came up to me and said that they, you know, how, you know, she treated their kids. And I, she never would come home and be like, Hey mom, by the way, guess what? I sat with, you know, a child on the bench. Um, it wasn't something she ever, she just did it because that's who she was. And I, um, so to hear that how kind she was after, you know, a lot of people still to this day tell me, you know, how <clears throat> how kind and um, that just makes my heart happy. Um, she was my best friend. I miss her. Um, I love my sons, but it's it's different. Um, she was my first. We did everything together. She was in gymnastics. She played soccer. She played softball. She swam. She wanted to do everything and she wanted to be um <laughs> a nurse like mom. And uh, then I told her that she should maybe be a surgeon. They make a little bit more money. <laughs> so she said she wanted to be a drama surgeon and um, she was smart. She would have probably gone and done anything she wanted. Um, and she would have been really successful, I think. Well, I think you credited your her father for a lot of her qualities, but I think you sell yourself short uh, in, what, in what impact you had on her and and, you know, being a driving force for changing laws that will help other children is as admirable as it gets, Catherine. Thank you. Um, yeah, she, I mean, she did. Family has always been number one in my family. My parents are still married after 45 years. And um, family has always been number one. And uh, she knew that and she loved her family. And she, I mean, even up probably to the time he bludgeoned her to death, she loved her dad. And uh, it's just you know, she was a very loving child. Um, she does, she did know that there were things off with him. And, um, I look back now and I wish I knew more about what she was kind of hiding. Um, she did it to protect me and it wasn't her job to protect me. It was my job to protect her and I wasn't able to, um, I just hope she knows I'm sure uh, she how much she's missed and loved and how much, um, I don't, she was excited when the, you guys put her on the um, page of the, uh, I think it was the Courier Times at like a July or Memorial Day parade. She was so excited to see herself in the paper. She would never believe or um, uh, believe how many times this little girl's picture has been put in the paper and all over the country and on TV and stuff. And she never really wanted that type of attention, but um, she, uh, I think she would. I know. Hopefully she's proud, but I'm sure she is watching over us. And hopefully, like I said, her story, if it helps one person, it's worth it. Right. Yeah. Well, Catherine, listen, thanks for joining us today. And, you know, best of luck with getting Cadence Law to become law. Thank you. We have a long way to do and um, a long way to go. And uh, 
you know, it ultimately comes down to this is the right thing to do. Um, you know, kids deserve rights and they deserve to live happy, healthy lives. And if there's a system that's preventing that or not helping these kids, um, that's a problem with me and it should be a problem for everybody. A lot of people say, well, you know, this do- doesn't affect me or, you know, yeah, well, be glad that you're not in custody court, but I can promise you that it affects someone you know or love and I can guarantee that. Um, and with all the things that we know now, uh, you know, this stuff is preventable and to be able to, you know, help, help these kids out so they don't suffer the horrible things that they could potentially suffer in their future. I mean, it's worth it. Not all laws are right. Look at all the laws in our past in our country, um, that have been changed. It just, because it's a law doesn't mean it's right. And, um, if it needs to be changed or you need to look at what happened and what you can do to make it better, then I think that we owe that to ourselves and our society. And um, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here. So hopefully um, we can all come together and look at what's right and what the best thing to do is for our kids. I mean, if we don't, we don't stand up for children, what do we stand for? Honestly, they are in our possession not possessions but our most prized that's the perfect way to end it if we don't stand up for them what are we doing nothing um well listen that's all the time we have for today Catherine. once again thanks for joining us thank you phil you can access our podcasts on google spotify apple or wherever you get your favorite podcasts you can also access our informative award-winning content at the intel.com that's intel with two l's at thecouriertimes.com and burlingtoncountytimes.com. Better yet, become a subscriber. It's only a dollar for the first six months, and you'll be keeping up with news in your community and helping support local journalism in the process. For my partner, J.D. Mullane, who's on vacation, I'm Phil John Ficaro. Thanks for watching, and thanks for reading. See you next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.